0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Glenn, mm. we have so
2: many new sponsors. It's unbelievable. It's very exciting. Who should we start with? Let's start with the original. The goat! The goat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Jason Furman.
2: <laughs> yeah. Irons a wiener dog quip. The Irons a wiener. Ironswick dog quip. Where the
1: fuck else would you buy your dog training equipment from?
2: In Australia. In Australia. Yes. Yeah, where else would you get it? The goat himself. The goat. Yeah. Ironswick dog quip. Yep. Should we call him the Buffhead goat? We could. Why, mean, not? why not? Label him up as much as we can. Yeah. If you need any dog training equipment, the
1: only place you should be getting it in Australia is Ironswick Dog Quip. Mm-hmm. But if you're training that dog,
2: you're going to need to keep it healthy. Yes, you I are. Mean, how on earth would someone go about doing that? The one and only canineceuticals. What is canineceuticals, sir? It's a great range of dog supplements. I could probably and proudly say it's close to the best that you can get. It's human-grade supplements. Mm-hmm. I know- So you can have a little taste. You can. You can have a little taste. <laughs> That's not, the best I, thing about I, training to actually. I'm not going to officially endorse that just in case someone does and they yeah, have, yeah. A, have a- Yeah. No, but they should be able to because it's human grade supplements and knowing my wife and what a perfectionist she is, like Narelle would literally breathe into one of those little bags if, and have a hissy fit if it wasn't close to the best that she could possibly put out. Okay. You know when people hyperventilate and mm-hmm, they've got to hold a mm-hmm, paper bag mm-hmm, to their mouth? Mm-hmm. She would do that. Okay. So I know it's great product. It's the word canine, not K-N-9. Okay. Yep. CanineCerticals.com.au. Hey,
1: you know, one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen was mm-hmm. many years ago mm-hmm. when we were at the ICP conference and Horny George Kittredge yes. showed us his prototype. He did. He did. Dog box on the back of his motorbike. He did. And his motorbike got stolen the next day. Yes, Remember it did.
2: Yeah, that's right. It
1: did. Fucking <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, he perfected that fucking thing. Yep. And it's now called the Rowdy Hound. Hound brand. And he, look. Here. Listen. He's, He's even got the that. music. Rowdy Hound motorcycle dog kennel for dogs up to 70 pounds. It actually is cool as shit. It so is. it's like a, a cool dog box. It goes on the back of your motorbike. Seals up if you need to keep the dog in there. Has a little pop open so his little cool
2: head can stick out. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And we knew about it since concept. Like he told us about it on the way when he picked us up from the airport and drove us out to the conference. Yep. Told us all about it and he brought it to fruition. It's actually really cool to see
1: that he got that to
2: market. I love that kid. He's
1: a good guy. Here it is. You can buy it. So if you have a motorcycle and a dog, Glenn. Rowdy hound. (laughs) Has he sent you one? I can imagine you with Randy in it on the back oh, of
2: imagine floor. that. <laughs> I'd go to corner and Randy would jump at something and flip me off my bike. Yeah.
1: What I think people should do is get themselves one of those if they're mm. in America, if you ride motorcycles. Yeah.
2: And then just drive on up to Canada. Yes. To? Dan Croft Canine. Absolutely. The best in the biz. Yeah. They're doing puppy training, dog training, merch, they got equipment, and- if you have a look at their social media, they're absolutely social media wizards. Are they? Yeah, on Instagram. The they've best. got it. They've got they're absolutely fantastic on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Dancroft, canine, Toronto. The best. The best. The best in the biz.
1: So that's it, guys. Four sponsors. We've Amazing. got The Goat, Canine Suiticles, The Cool Dog Box, The Rowdy Hound Dog Box, and Dancroft Canine. Thank you very much, guys, for sponsoring mm. the show. And if you appreciate the show, appreciate those guys.
2: Yeah, don't skip the ads, guys. Listen to them every single time. Yeah. Like and subscribe. Yeah. Check them out. Yeah. help them out, small businesses, and we should support our own anyway. Yeah, and we're going to record
1: this ad every week every and there'll week. be very minor differences and it's up to you to tell us what those differences are. It's a are. test.
2: <laughs> There's a test at the end of it. <laughs> There's a test at the end of the show. Make sure you <laughs>
1: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm at my house. I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And joining us all the way from the Sunshine Coast is Kirsty Reid. Hey, Kirsty, thank you for coming on the show.
0: Thank you for inviting me to be on. Pleasure to be here.
1: It's late notice. We gave you like 40 minutes and we'd like to <laughs> make sure <laughs> make sure you have headphones and you're somewhere where there's not noisy and put all these restrictions on you.
0: Yeah, that's all right. I still have a life. So wasn't much to organize to get myself organized
1: to get on here. Thank you very, very much for giving us your time. It's been a hot minute since we've actually recorded a podcast. We haven't done this in a few weeks because we recorded one and then Glenn was away. And while he was away, he got the Rona and then he's had the Rona. And so it's been a little while, but while we've not recorded anything something really very important has happened in the dog training space in australia and i think actually it's important around the world and that is that all of a sudden out of the blue from nowhere the queensland government just announced one sunday morning at like 10 oh five in the morning that hey surprise we're banning prong collars ta-da that sent somewhat of a, a shockwave throughout the entire industry all around the country and some people did the typical complain about it jump up and down have a song and dance other people got into action And you are one of those people that got into action. So what we're going to talk about today is everything that you and Britt have been up to and what's been going on with that. But first of all, before we do that, because I've just been talking nonstop, is just tell us who you are. Give us your backstory and how you came to be in the industry, what you did beforehand, and uh, how it came to be that you're the person or one of the people leading the push here. Sure.
0: I have been... A member of the dog training industry for about six years now um so myself and my partner care got our first border collie seven years ago fell in love with the whole idea of dog training and um, we're lucky to link up with a really good dog trainer in melbourne when gary the dog was a puppy he pointed us in the direction of nbtf and it just kind of went from there so i run my own private training business up here on the sunshine coast leading canine and i We'll run another business, the Good Dog Project, with a good friend of mine, Maggie Scargill. Well, rumor
1: Scarble. has it, you guys host a really good seminar.
0: Yeah, rumor has it, we do host a good seminar. We're one for one so far. <laughs> We're hosting <laughs> one <laughs> seminar. It's with this guy called Pat Stewart. You might have heard of him. Yeah,
1: um, you guys yeah. did a great job. It was fantastic.
0: Thank you. Thank you on a not so great week for you all up, but glad we pulled a good seminar together.
1: It worked glad out.
0: You- it worked out. Yeah. I'm glad you pulled a good seminar together. Um, So how I came to be involved in this, I guess, we were as blindsided as as everybody else. I was teaching group class that Sunday morning, finished up class and saw the state premier's announcement on social media. And Britt and I have been friends for a number of years and got to talking about this and noticed there was a lot of noise online and, you know, people wanted to act, but there was no clear direction. And you posted that really excellent video resource about submitting to the parliamentary committee, which kind of generated a lot of questions online for people. How do I do this? What's the right, right way to do it? Um, so Britt and I, being the very distinct personality type that we are, decided to you know, just kind of bring bring everyone together and create some resources to support people in having their voice heard the right way. Because there's definitely a need for that. Everybody wanted to be heard. Everyone was quite blindsided that we weren't given the opportunity to be heard. And they put us on a really short time frame from when she announced it to it being tabled in Parliament, I think was 48 hours. And then mm. the bill the bill was passed to the committee for review and it was all systems go. So time was kind of of the essence. And yeah, we just went from there, um, put together a bit of a guide on how to make a submission to the committee. Um put together a video to help people fill it in and just spans the internet <laughs> with that information. Um, there's been subsequently a change.org petition, which generated 4,000 signatures in the first 48 hours, I think, is the current stats. Nice. Which just is it, it's evident that people want to be heard, and it's not just dog trainers. So we've had clients reach out to us, as many other trainers in the same situation. So our efforts were just... Designed to make it as easy as possible for people to get their words and their opinions across to the people that matter.
1: Let's wind it back just a little bit. It was over 12 months ago that the Queensland government they asked for consultation on their proposed changes to the Act. Within that, I can't remember all the things. I made a video about it. We can probably put a link to that in the in the description or the the show notes or something. But essentially the things that they were interested in changing within that animal cruelty act was nothing that really anybody within the dog training space was concerned about. And I remember at the time that I think I was on the legislative committee with the ICP at the time we went over it and were like, this is fine. There's nothing here. Part of it was like, it had to do with like officially banning dog fighting. And we're like, yeah, well, like I got no problem there. Uh, and I think that, we chose not to make any sort of submission. 12 months later, when those proposed changes were going to go through parliament and become law, all of a sudden it was that prong collars are being banned. And what was extremely peculiar about it was the way that that media release was put out. And what it said in that media release was, and this is all in the video that I made, what it said in that media release was that there was overwhelming call for the banning of prong collars. And what's interesting was that that can't really have happened because there was no provision within the submissions you could make to talk about prong collars anywhere in that because they hadn't brought it up. And the way it's meant to work is that you're meant to the submissions that people would make are in relation to the proposed changes. And so I suppose it's possible that someone could have said, well, I think this should have been a proposed change, but it it wasn't. And then there were two petitions that were getting around that were in reference to banning prong collars, and I think one had about 500 signatures, and maybe one had sort of 430 or something. So it was around about a thousand people. A so thousand people is a lot of people. Uh, the state of Queensland, you know, probably has what six million people or something like that—six, maybe eight million. I'm not sure. And so, a thousand people is not a lot in regards to millions that are in the state. So that was my big concern initially was that there was no true consultation. That's one of the big problems with changing laws of any kind is the lack of consultation with the people that it actually affects. Now we have a lot of people who, you know, feel really strongly about things. And it's it's funny because, you know, at the last episode we put out was very, you know, it was on this topic because there was some news articles about dog training techniques this is one of the things that I find really frustrating about the people who push for the banning of equipment and stuff is that I just think that their scope of involvement within the dog training industry is so narrow that their opinion on the industry as a whole is largely irrelevant. So, you know, like the people who are calling for this, you know, I looked up one of the people, she runs puppy class, she does a a puppy class and a little bit of like dog walking. She's extremely vocal saying there's absolutely no use for prong collars Within her scope, that's true, right? And so I think one of the issues is that those people who are calling for these bands within our industry, who are dog training people, they imagine the industry to be what they do. And that is running puppy classes and a little bit of dog walking. And they're imagining the use of prong collar within their space. And what they don't do is deal with extremely aggressive dogs who have a bite history. What they don't deal with is competition sport dogs. What they don't deal with is military working dogs. What they don't deal with is police and security dogs. And so they really have no idea and therefore probably no business giving any sort of commentary on what and how those dogs should be trained. So that's kind of my concern with it to start with. What I was also then really worried about is why did this come up? Because what was also interesting within those proposed changes to the act was kind of affirming of the powers of inspection of RSPCA inspectors. And I think what they were looking to do as well was sort of formalize those powers because even within people, you know, within the animal industry, within the dog training industry, there's a lot of, you know, people don't even know what the actual powers of the RSPCA are. People have told me plenty of times that they can just make entry into your home. They can just search your home at any point, which I think is fucking ridiculous ridiculous and is flat out untrue actually like there's no way that the police can turn up to my house and ask to make entry and i say no you can't come in and that they can't without some sort of you know probable cause without some sort of reason to come in or a warrant but the rspca can like that's just outrageous and it's not actually the case a lot of people think that it is and it's not and so i think one of the things that this proposed changes to the animal cruelty act in Queensland was looking to formalize those powers and actually put like a left and right of arc on those inspectors and say, this is what you can and can't do. And it seems to me that that was probably considered by those organizations as a loss of ground. They were not happy with that. And I would almost guarantee that there was some sort of backroom deal done whereby it was said, well, if you're going to take these powers away from us, we won't kick up a stink about that if you ban prong collars. And so how likely do you think that is? I don't want to put words in your mouth and you, Glenn, I've been talking the whole time. It's such a hot topic that we haven't even heard from you yet.
2: Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. And this lady who originally proposed these prong collar changes, which has been going on for several years now, I think it's been a little bit of another slap in the face for the organisation in general, because it seems that we wait We wait, we wait, and we wait until something terrible happens, and then all of a sudden, then everybody comes together and starts doing something about it. That's not so true in all events. I mean, I know the ICP watchdogs have been reporting on things and the legislative committee have been acting when they can see a little bit of smoke, which has been great. But the problem is, is the larger groups of interested dog trainers, the one who want to preserve the rights to use these tools and maintain them long into the future. The problem is they wait. They're always waiting for somebody else to do something. That's the issue that we always tend to see. Those sort of things concern me. There always been a worry. That's been a worry that's happened for 30 years. Every time we've suffered a loss, it's because a great deal of apathy has occurred Unfortunately, in the industry, especially for the politicians who are rubbing their hands together over these things, this is what they want. They want you to forget about it, go on with life, because most people need to do those type of things that, you know, we've got other things to do. Whereas there are political groups with strong agendas that that is their life. That's their MO. They run this entirely for five days a week all throughout the year. Makes it difficult and it is a, an ongoing problem. Getting back to your points about the RSPCA, yes, there are some concerns there. There are always some concerns that they never really consolidate with anybody else in the industry other than like-minded people who just want to jump on the bandwagon and say, I don't want to use prong collars. Interesting thing was a couple of weeks ago, just before I got the Rona and I was put out for a while, I was watching a video that Senator Malcolm Roberts put out where he really wants reform within the RSPCA and is challenging them over a range of issues that have come to light. And he wants a parliamentary inquest done on the powers and the actual uh, capability of the RSPCA. There are two wolves that exist in my head about this. There's one that says, I agree with the fact that they do good work in welfare. The other wolf that always says to itself, what about all the overstepping and the overreach that they do with everything else without the proper consultation, having a very leftist or a very biased opinion without bringing all the stakeholders to the party and saying, if we're going to have tools, how do we manage it so we can have them and use them better throughout the community? That doesn't seem to happen. It never does. It seems to always be, no, we just don't want them. We don't like them. They're completely against RMO. I always see that as a long term issue for everybody because instead of there being education and instead of there being middle ground, there is always the talk of somebody has to lose. Like this is not about equilibrium. This is not about designing a better world. This is about a winner and a loser.
0: Just to speak to your original suspicion, Pat, about the prong collar being the sacrificial lamb, we've researched this exhaustively and there is an open inquiry from the Auditor General on which a report has been produced highlighting lack of oversight over the RSPCA from the government, which we got some shred of confirmation over when we requested from the government and the RSPCA stats on how many convictions there have been for animal cruelty under the act that involve the use of any kind of training tool. And we're told in black and white that most convictions are made by the RSPCA. The department doesn't have access to that information and that the RSPCA are not subject to the freedom of information act. So essentially we're never going to get those stats from them.
1: (laughs) Did you say the RSPCA is not subject to the freedom of information act? Correct. Did they tell you why?
0: No sent me an email back saying, please note that this may or may not provide you with the information you're seeking. The RSPCA Queensland is not subject to the RTI Act, but conducts the vast majority of prosecutions under the Animal Care Protection Act. Wow. Yeah, which is a worry. And if you pick apart the outcomes report, you are correct that a lot of it is with regards to RSPCA reform, subsequent promotion of a particular training methodology, which doesn't include the use of tools negative reinforcement or any form of punishment. And it looks to be that this is just this is on the chopping block. And they've kind of snuck it in very sneaky sneaky style. But what's of greater concern is that it's not just the prong collar they're coming after. They're looking to put a condition in the amended act which says other restraint-based tools by regulation. The examples they've provided of restraint-based tools are leashes, collars, and muzzles. Mm. So this leaves them very open to at any point being able to take away any training tool that they deem to be not to their liking or prohibited for being inhumane without having to go through any further procedure. No other legislative changes. It's just we don't like head halties now, so you can't have them either. Or we don't like slip collars, so you can't have them either, which is a worry. And the fact that they haven't followed their own best practice guidelines and had genuine community consultation before proposing these changes sets a very dangerous precedent
1: indeed. So let me just tease that out a little bit. So what we saw in that press conference was that the prong collar was being banned and that's going to be within the act, that's going to be named and banned. But Mm -hmm. then within the guidelines, it also says that any restraint-based device could be prohibited and gives the example of leash, collar, muzzle. I think one of the big concerns here is, am I interpreting this correctly? That means that they can just say your leash and collar or muzzle is no longer allowed to be used. I don't really understand because like, I don't understand how people are meant to walk their dogs if it says that like any restraint-based device. I don't understand, is that just really badly written legislation for which there's many gaps Or is it really well-written legislation in order to fuck people over? I'm really confused by it.
0: It's very well-written on their behalf and that they've left it intentionally vague. So the way Britt explained this to me, because she used to be in law enforcement.
1: Let me just go back a little bit because we're kind of bouncing around. You and Brittany Young have led the charge on this. Let me just give everybody sort of a brief sort of catch everyone up on what happened is I put out a video I had advice from other people and I did the best of what I could understand. But at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a moron, especially in regards to doing, I I can't even type. When I have a message to send people, I film a video and I send them that message. Right. (laughs) So I decided that there was one thing I had, which is reach and I can get that message to thousands and thousands of people. And I got that out as quickly as I could. And then you and Brittany, got together uh, and have you know basically taken over from there and so people understand you guys got in contact with me and said we want to push the charge of this and i said fantastic because i don't have the capability like i've expended my capability and that was by getting the message to as many people as possible so it's you and britney young that have done a ton of work in this regard and it is not as part of any organization or uh, you know on behalf of your business or to promote anything other than to protect the world welfare of animals. You guys have not, like, I think most people probably wouldn't even be aware of how much work you guys have done, and I think that you guys, I want to give you a wrap on that. In that, it's it's clearly not been to promote yourselves or you know your business or anything like that. It's just selfless work, selfless beyond protecting the industry of which you're a part of, right? So you and Brittany got together, and um, Brittany is a ex cop, and so she has probably some really good training and understanding of legalese. What did you do before you are in dogs? It was something within legal framework, right?
0: No, it wasn't legal. I was, I was in the corporate space um, okay. in, like, in like an executive management type position. So writing dry and tedious <laughs> documents was, I don't know, it's just a weird weird strength that I have.
1: Yeah. So you guys have a skill set for it and decided, you know, you, you've got the knowledge of the industry space, you've got a skill set to do it, and, you know, the motivation to actually get things going. So sorry to cut you off, but you and Brittany are reading into it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's no no professional gain for us. We just, the two of us were just angry and motivated to try and do something. But Brett, with her cop background, the way she explained it to me, referring back to this section in the proposed bill, which says, or other restraint-based device by regulation. The example she used for me was like narcotics, illegal substances. They don't list in the law every single possible conceivable drug that you can be convicted for possessing as a prohibited substance. It's just substance prohibited by regulation. So it's like a coverall, it's just mm-hmm. a blanket, a blanket term under which they can add new items as it becomes relevant. So, you know, when everybody started huffing tide pods, they could put, they could put them on there as a prohibited substance. Um, okay. So it's just, it's just a blanket coverall for them, which, gives them the autonomy at any point if this legislation passes, these changes go through, gives them the autonomy at any point to add to that list any restraint-based device as they see fit, and they can yeah. prohibit. Um, they, they've come out and said it's because of the evolving nature of training tools, and it's a cover-all for new training equipment which might come to market that they deem unsuitable, but there's absolutely nothing to stop them reaching for items that already exist and taking those away whenever they feel like it.
1: Yeah, sure. So what they could say essentially is like a neck tech type collar. They can say, well, that's close enough to a prong collar. And we say that collars are no good. So that that's on the list. Mm -hmm. And I think that then has, you know, before too long, that's going to be martingales. That's going to be slip leads. That's going to be Mm -hmm. flat collar eventually, because there are even people that want the flat collar ban and that dogs have to wear harnesses.
0: Correct. Referring back to the three original petitions, which were raised with government at the time that they were doing their original investigation, which is how they've kind of snuck this in is, oh, well, it just so happened at the time that there was some open petitions in parliament against e-collars, prong collars, and choke collars, which in the petition was defined as any collar suit that can cause asphyxiation if it tightens around the dog's neck, which is interpret that as you will, but that's very broad. Mm. So it's just, potentially everything is on the chopping block here or they're going to have the power to make everything on the chopping block, which is, it's just a bit of a worry. And there's talk as well that this is a push for a national standard from the RSPCA, which means that the outcomes of this are potentially further reaching than just Queensland.
2: How is it that all of a sudden it's gone to the top of the tree in Queensland and the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Pelagé, has all of a sudden put it under her banner to take control of this situation?
0: Not certain, to be honest. I mean, she said she's making good on an election promise, but I don't believe it to be coincidental that she announced this two weeks before the federal election. That's my tinfoil that take on it. Mm. But how it looks to me is it's looked like low-hanging fruit for winning support because animal welfare is a highly emotive issue amongst the voting public. And that's it looks to me that it's been like an 11th-hour attempt to kind of garner some support, but I'm a bit cynical about these things, so...
1: That's part of the problem, right? Is that the prong collar, I'm very transparent about this. I was quite anti-prong collar when I first saw one. I will never forget the day that I was first shown a prong collar and told, yo, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put on the dog. And I was like, I'm not doing that, mate. That looks like a medieval torture device. And you know, it, wa- it wasn't until I was taught properly how to use it and came to understand it that I was like, oh, okay, I see the value in this tool. And I was taught to use it properly and have subsequently taught hundreds, if not thousands of people to do the same. But I think- as an easy win and a public, like as a a publicity stunt showing prong collars and announcing that you're going to ban them without any sort of indication of how they're used and who actually uses them is an easy win when you're going to talk public relations, right? Mm. It's an easy win. It's an easy thing to put up and go look at the good work that we're doing. And I think for the average person, the average pet dog owner, the average just civilian on the street would support that. And I think being a person outside of the industry, you would just look at that and go, well, of course those tools should be totally banned. Like, look at it. It looks terrible. Why should anybody use that? And so I think that's a really fair position for the average person to hold. It's a big problem for our industry. It's actually very scary. I think for the people in our industry, I think that for a lot of us who deal in the types of dogs and the types of methodology that really relies on those sorts of tools, and we we'll, we can tease out why that would be the case, but you know, that's very concerning and, and it's a big problem for us. But the people I felt the most sorry for were the people who have the -the over-the-top reactive dog or people who had the incredibly powerful dog that beats them in power-to-weight ratio. The people who have had massive success with the prong collar and maybe went through multiple trainers trying different techniques before they ultimately settled on one who could do that, have seen the big change, are dependent on that collar and are now being publicly called cruel are being publicly ridiculed for not being able to train a dog in some other way and are being told that the way that in which they have learned to manage their dog, the way that they live with their dog, perhaps the tool even that has allowed them to keep their dog alive and avoid the choice of euthanasia in, in many instances probably That tool is going to be taken from them, made illegal. They will be charged with animal cruelty if they continue to use it. And their option now is to decide, well, do I euthanize this dog because I can't control him without that tool and it's the only thing that makes him manageable? Do I kill the dog or do I risk taking an animal cruelty charge myself? Right, So you're placed in a, a position of do you go out and be cruel to your animal or do you continue to do what you know is right and risk being publicly named as being cruel? So you can secretly kill your dog or you can risk being publicly named, charged and convicted of being cruel to an animal for using a tool that you were convinced to use by a trainer. So they're the people that honestly, like for the us in the industry, it's a problem and it's scary and we have to fight it. There's lots of things that we're going to talk about people can do, but it's those people that I was most concerned for. They're the people that I felt terrible for because you, mm. you could imagine... If you, your trainer came out two years ago, three years ago, put a prong collar on your dog and your life changed and you haven't thought about it since and your neighbors know that you use that, family members know that you use that, and then suddenly it's all over the news that you are cruel you are using this cruel, this inherently cruel device, a device that can't in any way, shape or form not be cruel because that was the messaging that was put out. You've been using it and therefore you're the bad person. And could you imagine being one of those people? For us, it's like, fuck, okay, this other battle i got to fight now, right? But if you're one of those people, you're outside of the industry, it would be devastating and it would be incredibly upsetting beyond what I think I really have the words to explain.
2: When you look at the concept of or the heading of welfare, And you ask yourself, is this actually done in the broad sense of welfare? How could it be? Like, how could you come to an agreement where you say, yes, this is a positive step forward for welfare? For who? Not for the person that you just mentioned, Pat. Not for the other people who have been using them successfully for years without any recourse or any problem with their dog. Welfare for them is over if they're successful in deeming these illegal because the problem is, is that they will go into the welfare system. And this is where my heart starts to sink and really break over this because now I'm thinking of all the people who are involved in rescue who are already inundated. They're flooded with dogs since all this COVID puppies have ebbed and flowed and the popularity went one way, now it's going back the other way and there's an onpouring of dogs. I'm telling you folks, you have seen nothing yet. Once these tools start disappearing from market, the welfare of these dogs is forgotten about. It's a win for a certain consideration of what people think welfare are, On the other spectrum of that, there's no welfare. There's no consideration because these dogs will be dumped because people cannot handle them. And trust me, people won't be doing this lightly. Their hearts will be absolutely breaking. There'll be a lot of broken hearts about this because there will be no control. There'll be no consensus to be able to help them anymore because once you start robbing them of that tool, as you listed, Kirsty, there's going to be consideration on removing other things like slip leads and, and correction chains and you name it. There'll be a review on all of it. And there might be people out there who are saying, well, that's ridiculous. But is it? Because you have to ask yourself, once the tail starts wagging the dog, the whole paradigm of what we're talking about starts to fall in on top of itself. This is dangerous territory that we're getting in top of. And this is why people have to start acting on these sort of things. I'm not being emotive about this. It's gone past being emotional about it. This is something that's just nonsensical because we're now allowing a state premier to dictate whether or not we can use tools successfully and ethically to be able to help people bring their dogs under control. Pat made a good point of it before where there's, there's people who have raised these petitions who don't need them. They're running puppy groups who don't need them. There's trainers out there who know and wouldn't dare even think of or consider putting a prong collar on a puppy, you know, because they don't need them. But there are dogs out there and through the evolution of their life, once they've gone through certain behavioral changes and a prong collar is part of that successful evolution of helping to modify and control behavior, it's not something that's with the dog for the rest of the dog's life. However, it is something that needs to be considered as part of that successful behavioral change. I know there's people going to be listening to this who just are anti-prong collar anyway and they're going to be thinking, well, you know, you guys have got it wrong. These tools are terrible. But- In earlier episodes, you, Pat, and myself and other guests on the show, we've all asked that question, but what's your experience with it? How can you come to terms with this when you have no experience with this collar whatsoever other than you don't like it? That's really where it sits well with you is I don't like it and because I don't like it, you shouldn't like it and it shouldn't be allowed to be used on the market as well, but you have no experience with it. You've never used it. I can't tell you, anybody that I know, who's used one successfully, found it very beneficial for them or a client, and then um, turned their back on it and said, no, I'm turning away from prong collars, that person may exist. But in all the thousands of people I know over, I know I've said I've been in this industry 30 years and probably a good 28, 29 of them have been involved with the prong collar. And I too held that same stigma when I first saw it. I didn't like the look of it. I thought it looked awful until I used it, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we get down the track. But the thing is, I don't know one person that has gone, I was using them, now I'm not, I'm reformed against them. It's always been the other way. It's always been the same story. It looks like a medieval torturing device. I didn't like it at the start, but once I got used to it and I saw it working and I saw how it complemented my dog and my dog's behavior started to change and my dog is fine with it and it's not showing all the symptoms of pain and everything that people have been broadcasting across the internet and across media forums, for them – it's been a, an entire different structure, an entire different experience.
1: So, Kirst, we've, we've talked about the problem and how we got to here, but let's talk about the work that you and Britt have done because mm. there is hope, right? Because of the way that there was no consultation, what they've done, the way that they've implemented or plan to implement this new proposed change is actually illegal. They've not followed their own due process and our best bet in getting this changed is to attack that avenue you know we know as dog trainers that we feel really compelled to sort of fight the case for the prong collar and maybe right now that isn't the right thing to do maybe right now the thing to do is fight the case for due process and then we'll fight the case for the prong collar in the future when we get due process
0: yeah, that's, that was the main point on which our, our argument hinges is that there has, hasn't been genuine consultation with, with the broader community or with key stakeholders, which includes but is not limited to dog trainers, members of the police and military, the pet dog owning community, who have, or people who have dogs living in their community who are managed safely on tools. They've not followed their own best practice guidelines like with that and kind of pulled it all apart in a productive stress rage and had a look at their dates and the information they were putting out there, and it just doesn't line up. So this committee, which is now being established to review the changes the government wishes to put through, are, are open at this point to receive submissions. And this is really our best opportunity to effect any change at this time. Um, it's just a, to, to raise a submission with them and, and highlight first and foremost, hey, like you, you didn't give us a chance to be adequately consulted on this despite your public line that you did. And we can, we've evidenced that to a number of facts. There's some room here to speak objectively on how the tool has impacted on people's lives. So from their own personal experience, we, we have had some feedback from the committee that they have received a number of submissions from the dog training community and from the everyday kind of pet owning public. And they quite like to hear these stories. This is what they're looking for is personal experience. But I think what's kind of key here is to make it as objective as possible and keep emotion out of it because they're not interested to hear from us jumping up and down going, you can't take my tools away, you'll prise my prong out my cold dead fingers, you know, it's got to be a bit more objective and factual than that at this point. The strongest thread of our argument is that the government haven't followed the wrong guidelines and done things the way they're supposed to. And as a result of that, the true impacts on the community have not been established. That this will have far-reaching effects from trainers down to pet dog owners down to people who have dogs living next door to them. And none of this has been properly established. So their grounds for saying that they're making a proportional change in response to a need is just unsubstantiated. So we're better off pursuing at this time that line of argument rather than, hey, phone callers are awesome and this is why you should let me keep them.
1: I know that writing that form of submission that kind of thing and you know writing an official letter to a government body can be overwhelming. I've had to do it loads of times. It's difficult because you want to present you know, as professional an argument as possible. You also, what I always find difficult in those sorts of things is establishing yourself as an expert, like without, you know, letting your ego sort of ride the whole thing, but explaining like, Hey, I'm a person whose opinion matters here. Right. Like I just don't have, I just don't have strong feelings about this. I have a lot of experience and these are my credentials in it. But then also sort of saying, I think there should be investigation into this. Like, I really do think that we should look into how prom collar is used and what effect it has, because I think you'll be surprised at the outcome. Right. And I think just even formulating that most people haven't written that kind of document uh, since they were in high school. Right. Like that. I think the majority of the people who we're asking to write a submission have not written anything even remotely similar to that in a very long time or even if at all. So one of the things I've been super impressed what you and Brittany have been doing is developing a template. Now, the other person I should recognize as we mentioned all this is Marsha Davey who has, uh, Mm. so she is on the legislative committee of the IACP that are as involved as, as can be, right? I've been really happy with the IACP response to this. It's been fantastic. They're doing everything that they can even though Yeah, I think Australia represents a fraction of the membership, which is annoying and frustrating, and I wish more Australians would join and really can remember that the I is international in the International Association of Cano Professionals. But so the three of you guys have done incredible work developing templates that people can use. And I think what's super important for people to remember is like, don't cut and paste those (laughs) because I think that that's fair. And that's totally fair that that committee, if they receive the same thing with different names on it, should dismiss that as being, it's not a genuine submission. So you guys have made those available and there's multiple of them available. And I think most people who have written one would happily make theirs available as well in order that somebody who who feels overwhelmed writing that sort of thing can sort of aggregate their own and look at the pieces people have written and, and use what's what feels good to them. Where can people find those templates? Like where are you storing that? How can people see that? Because I know that people listening will want to make a submission. The other thing I should point out as well is that anyone in the world anywhere can make a submission, right? It's not like you have to be a resident of Queensland to be considered. Is that is that correct?
0: That's correct. Yeah, anybody anybody can make a, a submission to the committee. There's no requirement to reside in Queensland. We have spent a lot of time on that template trying to condense the key facts of the argument so people understand what they are arguing, but also leaving room for people to edit as they see fit and add in their own relevant personal position. Britt made a video to go along with the template as well, just talking people through how to fill it in because I agree with you. It can be a bit intimidating creating a document like this. And what we very much didn't want to see was people deterred from having the opportunity to put forward their opinion just because of the format in which that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have shared the template and the video on the Empire Paradigm discussion group. It's on various other dog forums online. It's on TBS. We also have a mailing list. Happy to provide you the email address if you want to pop that in your show notes or
1: or whatever. Yeah, for sure. We'll tell people right now if they want to get on that mailing list. I know people are listening to this. They're driving. They're probably not going to be able to write it down. But if we put it in here, the more places it is, the more likely people are to to find it. So you can jump into our Facebook discussion group. There's 8,000 people in that group. Fucking hell, a lot of those people should be checking that out, right? We'll get to talking about the petition in a moment. But so it's in our Facebook discussion group. It's in the Balance Symposium if you're in that group. It's on your personal Facebook pages and you've got it. Yeah, it's in many, many dog groups. But if people want to be emailed it directly, how can they do that? How do they get on a mailing list?
0: Uh, they can reach Britt and I on dogtrainingqld at gmail.com.
1: Okay, so dogtrainingqld is in Queensland at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, so if they shoot us a message there, we can forward them over all of the resources and how to put their submission together. And that's, at this point, the best way to get in contact with each of us. Um, we can just disseminate information from there. Social media is wonderful for discussion, um, but the reason that we created the mailing list was just for a more linear flow of information. It was, especially in the early days, a very rapidly changing situation, and it just felt more logical to to kind of communicate with everybody that way on on the the most recent happenings and and what resources we had available.
2: How long have people got, Kirsty, before this expires?
0: Uh, Today is the 22nd of May and tomorrow the committee will begin reviewing submissions they've already received. However, they are open to receiving submissions until 12pm on the 1st of June. So they've not given us much time at all, but there is still days left to get a submission in if that's something people haven't yet got to.
1: Okay, so today being 22nd, by the time this what do you say 1st of june you say 1st
0: of june
1: so this probably won't come out for a few days by the time you're listening to this you've got not long you've got a short period of time but everything is available you can find it online this will you, with the templates that are everything is done it'll take you 2 hours max right like everything's done there you type it up send it in you have your opinion heard the problem with social media is that It's a for-profit platform, right? And the algorithm of that platform is not interested in helping out anyone's particular cause. It is interested in bringing advertising revenue. And so posts like this don't really especially do very well. You may not have seen it, even though you may be in those groups, you may be in all the ducks should be aligned for you to see these posts. You may not have already because it's not especially interesting to the Facebook gods. I think that's the best thing is to get on that mailing list, and therefore, no algorithm is deciding whether you see that or not. You add those guys to your address book or whatever. Make sure it doesn't go through your spam filter, and you're kept up to date with you know what you can do to help and where things are actually going ahead.
0: Especially on a hot topic issue like this, there's posts happening left, right, and center. Facebook fillers, however, Facebook wants to fill So for mm-hmm. sure, we could, we could see inflation a which was kind of what geared us towards. Old school electronic like
1: Yeah. So dog training Queensland QLD, not Queensland, the word dog training QLD at gmail.com. That's the one. Okay. So the next thing I want to talk about is the fucking amazing petition that you guys wrote. So did Brittany wrote all that? Well, I would, I should say we would love to have Brittany on as well, but she couldn't make it at the time that we sprung on you guys as being available. So she's, she's done as much work as you definitely want to acknowledge the hard work that she's done as well. She wrote that petition, which is spectacular and has over 4,000 signatures. Did you say within sort of 40 hours?
0: Yeah, that's right. 4,000 signatures within 48 hours. I'm counting absolutely could not have done this without her the, t- the two of us have been a little team <laughs> and just been back and forward on everything that's gone out and yeah Brittany put together an excellent petition the one that we've just mentioned which is live which has garnered a ton of signatures with change.org petitions the comments that people leave can't be submitted as evidence in parliament but where the petition is strong for us is numbers It just shows that there is genuine interest in us being given the opportunity to be consulted. Mm. It is a bit of a numbers game at this point. And we have had confirmation that committees will take that under advisement and take it into consideration. Um, It's just the comments that people leave that they can't for privacy reasons, etc. But signing the petition makes a world of difference, a world of difference. The The more numbers we have, we've already exceeded the number of people that were consulted on the changes to the act in the first place. We've far exceeded the number of people that signed petitions saying they want eight prong collars banned. So these are the kind of stats that can't be ignored and government loves stats. They love numbers. So they love to see engagement on things like this. So taking a minute and chucking a signature on the petition is immeasurably helpful at this point.
1: So let me just explain that you'll see everyone again. If you email that email address, you guys will be able to send a direct link to that petition Mm -hmm but you'll find it online. Lots of dog trainers have been sharing it. When it comes up, the link looks like it's just, it's a black background with white text that says, do you use a collar on your dog? Right. That's what it is. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, like I said, in that Canine Paradigm Discussion Group. There's 8,000 people in that group. And I shared that into there. And I think last time I checked, only like 2,700 people had seen it. And you know, it has 4,000 signatures. So I feel confident that most of the people that have seen it have and feel compelled to do so have actually signed and shared it. One thing I'll say to people though is like, as a person who's interested and as an industry person, please try and disseminate that to your network of people. If you feel strongly enough to sign it yourself, then I think what's important is that you try and disseminate that to your clients. I think that you should try and disseminate that, your friends and family. And it, but I think one of the things that people sometimes don't do especially well on social media is because of the way that the algorithm will not want to show that to many people, you need to type something. You need to get, get your thumbs going and then you need to put like a message at the top of that. And, and I think that I've seen tons of people share it and I think that's fantastic. But I think my encouragement to people, even if you have already shared it, is either edit your post or repost again and put like a blurb. It only needs to be a few sentences, whatever, or a single sentence, explaining what it is and why you've done it and how important it is and genuinely ask people to do it. Because these days there's so many fucking petitions. The world's going to shit and everybody's got their own single issues that they're focused on, right? But I think that this is an opportunity for us all as an industry to come together. And something I I am hoping happens in this space is that people who – Like I say, even if you don't like the prong collar, you should still be signing that petition because even if you want the prong collar banned, you still should want it banned with like a robust investigation and the outcome deciding on it. I think that's what's really interesting. And one of the things like I have had a few back and forth kind of arguments with people over this is people who are like, no, I don't want there to be an investigation. I'm like, well, then that should indicate to you that you're concerned about the outcome of the investigation. If you're concerned about the outcome of the investigation and that potentially not leading to the banning of prong collars, that should tell you that how you feel about prong collars is maybe just emotional and not fact-based. Right. And so that's my plea to as many people as possible is not only share it, share it in a way that's more likely for it to be seen and ask for help. Don't just share it in, like, hey, here's the thing, right? Put it out there and say, please, everybody get involved involved with this because. I want it not to protect my use of the prong collar, but to protect actual animal welfare. And honestly, when we do, as we do go forward, that's what I think it needs to be, you know, the, the cornerstone of our argument. And, and I think it is because it is the truth is that nobody cares more about animal welfare than fucking dog trainers. And they're the ones that weren't consulted. There's a bunch of people who are upset and don't like the idea of it. And that's totally fine. Give us an opportunity to consult with those people. And if you want to take on board how it is used and what is the potential fallout of using the prong collar, what are the potential benefits? The only people that can accurately answer that question are people who have used it. And there's dozens of us. You know, There's dozens of dog trainers who are happy to explain that system start to finish and how it actually works. So that's what I think we need to focus on.
0: I would agree. That's the most concerning part about all of this for me is that this is not about the tools that each of us like to use, don't like to use, have opinions on, don't have much of an opinion on. The big concern for me here is this set such a dangerous precedent that they're making, this is the biggest animal welfare reform in Queensland in 10 or 20 years since they last made changes to the Act, 20 years, 2001. And they've just, they've gone about it and in entirely the wrong way. It's blatantly untrue <laughs> what they're putting out there. Well, we, did, we did mention it to you, we did talk about it. They, they didn't, the facts are there. What's next? What's next that they change for animal welfare without consulting us? It's, you might not disagree with the prong collar going now, but what about in a couple of years time when they're coming for crates or they're coming for muzzles or they're not allowing you to travel with your dog in your vehicle? I mean, none of this is off the table. And if they're able to make these changes, move through government, move through parliament without following the correct procedure, that enables them to do this again down the track, which is a worry. We've even constructed our template in such a way that if you'd rather not not get into the prong caller side of it, you can still submit an incredibly strong submission, because that's not what this argument hangs on. What we're asking for is if the government's going to make changes of this nature that have such wide-reaching effects on dog trainers, dog owners and the community, that they just do their due diligence and do it the right way.
1: So just expand on that for one second, Kirst, that within the template that you guys have, Mm -hmm. there's space within that for even if you are pro-prong collar ban, you could fill out, use that template and just, I'm pro-animal welfare and actual investigation and legislative process.
0: I am pro the government doing things the way they say that they're going to, and I am pro retaining my access to my other training tools. They can use the same template, and there's an entire section that they can just choose to remove if they'd rather not weigh in on the whole prong collar debate, because that that really is the issue here. The prong collar is the poster child for this, for obvious reasons, highly emotive piece of equipment, but it's a little bit smoke and mirrors. This isn't about the prong collar it's not. Mm. (laughs) So people should be concerned about the movements that the maneuvers at dark essentially is what people should be concerned about because the real ramifications of this are not going to be immediately evident. Take the prom collar or don't, this is still going to have effects that we're going to be feeling further down the track. And that's very
2: concerning. There's a question I want to ask, and I want people at home to think about this, who are listening to this episode who amongst you has ever been approached to consult of the use of a tool? And we're going to use the prong collar because this is the topic that we're talking about today. But of all of you out there, who of you have ever been approached by a local member of parliament, some government agency, the RSPCA to come in and consult or to talk about your experiences with any type of tool that you've ever used before. I'm very confident that the answer will be none of you. Nobody ever has. I certainly haven't. I've been asked to consult professionally on things like this, but as a citizen, let's remove me from a professional standpoint, I've never been asked to consult on those type of things. Any of my clients over years of working with people in using tools or training dogs or modifying behaviour, I've never known one person that has been asked to come in and consult. Yet they always talk about their key stakeholders and their, their group of consultants that come in, who are these people, where do they come from, and how do they find them? They're certainly not in the groups that I travel in. Pat, I'm asking you the same question. Of all the people you know, are those people asked to be involved in any sort of key stakeholder movement? No,
1: and I think that's the big issue, mate. I think that not to say that we're the best at anything, but we are public people. We are public dog trainers. There's 40,000 people listening to this. We are very Googleable people. We put out a lot of content. I am very clearly pro-prong collar. There's there's videos all over my YouTube channel explaining how to use it, why I use it. You've been in the industry 30 years. You've been teaching the use of the tool. On a nationally recognized course, you teach the prong collar as a tool within that framework of that course. We're very obvious people, us and many others. Okay, That's what I want to explain. Us and many others are obvious people to ask the question of, and no one has ever asked me anything, anything to do with dog training no government department besides the ones I train have asked me anything to do about dog training, which I think is really funny, right? Like Mm. I've, I've trained most police, I've trained with and for most police departments around the country. I've trained the military. I think that's one of the the really interesting things is that the police and military will attempt to get exemption, right? Mm. So when these things will happen, but it's like under what grounds? Because the grounds that they usually go for is that they have a high level of training, but they fucking get that training from people like me, right? So like that will die pretty quickly when no civilian is allowed to be qualified in the tool or be become an expert in the tool. When you're in a military unit where people change out every two years, where's that corporate knowledge lie, right? I know the police will go for an exemption. I know that's what they'll attempt to do. And I think, good luck to you, but the issue is the prong collar is getting banned on on the grounds of animal cruelty. So if that goes into law and they say, well, the prong collar is an inherently cruel tool, it's not like they're suddenly going to say, you guys are allowed to be cruel to your dogs, right? That is not going to happen. They're not going to say the police are allowed to be cruel to their dogs. That's not going to happen. And so they're going to be just as fucked as we are. It's incredibly annoying. Mm.
0: Look at the situation they're in 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 Germany now where they banned all training yeah. tools and the military and police were left with a bunch of dogs that were not deployable because they couldn't be managed safely, yeah, which is terrifying. Or the e-collar ban in the UK where you've had mass numbers of stock being killed. I mean, where do you draw your line on welfare, really? And that's I right. Think one thing that's become disappointingly evident as we've done all of our research on this is that, the RSPCA are jointly responsible for the administration of the Animal Care and Protection Act, which is overseas animal welfare. And they have a strong position on this, which is essentially death before discomfort. And if you look at the numbers of behavioural euthanasia cases that have been executed by the RSPCA in the last five, six years, where do you drawing your line on welfare there? That's what really concerns me.
2: Yeah. It's, it's not welfare. It's not a question of welfare as as we've been talking about before. It's selective welfare. I would even go further and call it political welfare.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just a, a bit disappointing. And they've they've chosen instead to if you have a look at some of the statements there in the bill. They're very definitive statements based on unsubstantiated research. I mean, I don't believe that there's a scientific study exists that deems prong collars to be an inhumane piece of equipment. Not, but. They're making statements within their proposed legislation that that's fact, Mm. which is a concern, which is one of the things that we're asking for in conjunction with more consultation with relevant people, like people who use these tools, is a more comprehensive review of the research and more background information on behavioural science because the points on which they're hanging their hat are just simply not true. It's not that far removed from the arguments that we commonly come up against online when talking with force-free, positive-only dog trainers, that the information they have about the tools that we use is just, is just not true. Yeah, and not, right. in, not information from which you should be drawing strong enough conclusions to ban a piece of equipment, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that what's happened within a lot of those communities is the idea of using negative reinforcement and punishment or positive punishment has been demonized so much that it's no longer allowed to be talked about and what's really interesting now is that there's a you're know, a generation of people who have come in and been educated by those people who don't actually understand it at all. They just know that they they don't like it and that it shouldn't be done by anyone, but don't actually understand the mechanism by which it works. And they don't actually have the follow-up questions to that. And that's why they get very, some get violent and emotional because when you question them, they don't have any answers because within their education framework, it's not to be discussed. It's what Joe Rosie mentioned to us the other week when she was on saying that, like, it's just not allowed to be discussed. And, and I think- What's important is that we point out as balanced trainers and like the whole point is everyone should be able to train dogs, however they like. I think that being cruel to animals, causing unnecessary discomfort, injuring a dog, that kind of stuff should absolutely be illegal, but you don't need to ban the tools because if you use that tool in a way that you cause injury to the dog, then there's still mechanisms to charge you. If someone decides they're going to injure a dog and use a prong collar to do it, you can still lock that person up. You can still charge them with animal cruelty, no matter how they do it, because they cause the injury, right? You don't need to ban a tool that can be used by 99.99% of people really humanely, really effectively, because it's the odd chance that somebody decides to use it to hurt an animal so that you can get that person. You can get them. If, if, if they hurt an animal, you can get them.
0: You know, it'd be like banning everybody in the Sunshine Coast from driving because I choose to speed to work every day. Like it's just, it's irrational.
1: Hey, we've um, harped on it. We're, now we're getting into the, you know, whenever <laughs> you have this conversation, dog trainers, you get to that point. And I think it's fair. I think it is fair because, you know, if you listen to enough episodes of this podcast, I know, course you're a listener. It's exhausting having to have this argument so often. That's one of the things that is breaking my heart about the dog training industry is having to have this conversation so many times. And I had people at a seminar it just, that I just did in Sydney that would you know, formally staunch, force-free people really anti-tool and they come and they learn it and they go like, Oh, okay. I see it. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe I'm not going to use it, but I'm totally cool with what you do. And it's like, cool, got one. And just when you feel like you're making ground, there's like a fresh batch of people that are like, you're a devil. And you don't know what you're doing. And it's like, no, I'm, I really
2: do know what I'm doing. I know when, <laughs> been, when you see it, it on the agenda time. again, you're just thinking to yourself, Oh my God, here it comes again. Like, I think I've said it before. It's like a five-year evolution But it seems to be reducing in time now where it used to be every five years, it's more like every two years now where you can see the newest group of uni students who come out and I'm not trying to bash uni students, they're they're doing their best, but they come out of uni and they're hot on the press of welfare and all of a sudden, you know, like they've taken an interest in people like the animal justice party or something like that. And they've got them all steamed up and thinking about how to take on the world and rescue the whales and take on these horrible dog trainers who are using these ridiculous tools and blah, 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 blah. And the next thing is it's back on the agenda cards all over again. You're just thinking fucking hell is it that time already? And it just seems it is exhausting. It is exhausting. But I think ultimately when you're talking about the grand scheme of where things are going with animals in general, that's the point of it is to keep people exhausted and keep them on the back foot all the time. So it makes it very difficult to win these arguments.
1: But here's the thing. I think there's hope. I think that Kirsty, you and Brittany and Marsha together have done a fucking incredible job. And I'm so impressed by the work that you and Brittany have done getting that information out, putting together that petition, it's selfless. You guys have done it to protect the industry and everybody within it. So on behalf of myself and, you know, I'm sure it's many others, I want to really thank you for the efforts that you've put in and, and you know, recognize you mm. for having, done that. you've done a fucking incredible job. I'm proud to know you. And I think, honestly, I think we can turn this around because We've got the people, you guys have done an incredible job of not just pointing people in the right direction, but also giving them the guidance on how to do this effectively. My guess, and fuck, I hope I'm right. I hope that I'm not eating these words in a few weeks, is that I think that the way that the political system works is they got their headline, they made the show. And I think that that really is all that the politicians give a shit about, like actually getting things done. They don't give a fuck. Right. So long as it seems like they're doing good work, they're happy. And so they got their headline prong collar is going to be banned. And I think that it can just be sort of in the background by actual like public servants, not just like elected officials that are only concerned about the next cycle. Something I know from having been one for 12 years is the people who actually work for the government rather than like, the front-facing part of the government, the but are actually the gears in the machine. They care very much about the population. They care very much about keeping the machine going forward correctly. And I have confidence that the people who actually work within the Queensland government will make a good decision here. I'm really confident they will, but I think only because you guys have pointed people in the right direction, you guys have given people the right uh, things to, you know, the right message to pass on. But I don't want people to rest on that, right? So please, if you haven't signed the petition, do so. Don't rely on the fact that other people are going to do it because every single, every single submission has to be read. They have to actually acknowledge it. They have to go through it. They can't just go like, we got another one counted as a number. They have to go through it. They have to actually read it. They have to consider it. And with the petition, every signature fucking counts, like every single one, every number is important.
2: When you're talking about people within the government, Pat, I think it might be worth considering reaching out to somebody like Senator Malcolm Roberts and having a discussion with his department because he does seem to be listening to people right now and he does seem to be filtering through a lot of the bunk that's going on in the industry as well. So, you know, if you do have a considerate politician's ears that are willing to listen, and as you said before, Pat, Kirsty and Brittany and Marsha did a great job. Really commend you guys for all the effort you went to because, like I said, there's a lot of us that, you know, we want to do something, but the thought of it, you think, oh, here we go again. But it's nice that there's fresh eyes, fresh enthusiasms and certainly professionalisms that are putting things together and leading us in the right direction. So, yeah, great job. Thank you.
1: On that, who is that, Senator? Is he federal or a Queensland Senator? Uh, He's Queensland Senator. Yeah, so I would say if you want to contact him, I would do that after this has turned around. I think that, like, that would be in looking to get things changed in the future. I think that we should be careful of creating any noise and, and like stick with the, the direction that the girls have set up. I Agreed. think sending to that committee is, is it should be everyone's number one priority. Hey, Kirsty. thanks for coming on thanks for giving us your time thanks for everything you're doing here i wish that we had got you on earlier under different circumstances because you actually have like really cool and interesting dog training stories and are a really good dog trainer and it would be good to have discussed some of that with you rather than this bullshit
0: (laughs) thank you so much both of you for all of your kind words lift the ceiling to fit my big head in this room now but just uh, I really appreciate it. and like Brit and I have been friends for years. Good things come from awful circumstances sometimes, and this is the first thing we've collaborated on professionally, and I wish she could have been here with me tonight, but she's off celebrating her wedding anniversary, so happy anniversary, Brit and Tyson, but she's an absolute powerhouse of a human being, and the, the two of us have just kind of been propping each other up along the way. Marcia also has been a phenomenal support. She has the brain for this stuff, and she's just a wonderful person all around, but Just to further confirm what you just said is this is not a time for, okay, someone else will make a submission, so I don't need to. This is a numbers situation as much as anything else. Mm. It's not a rest on your laurels. There's enough people that have signed or submitted. I don't need to. I, I, I can't encourage people strongly enough to please, please take our template, add your own spin to it, and then just submit it. It will make A huge difference and who knows what the outcome of this will be Brett and I are feeling quietly quite positive there's a few other things happening in the background that hopefully we can update you on another time but I'm feeling good about our opportunity here to to turn this around it's a people power situation so the more people that can take the time to give the government the information the way they're asking for it from us the better
1: I heard you have a podcast
0: (laughs) I do have a podcast um, cool. Not with, with Maggie Scarborough, who's my business partner. So, we have a podcast called The Good Dog Project. Thank you for the plug. <laughs> um,
2: What's it called? Say, up- say it slowly.
0: Sorry, in an Australian accent as well. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: yes, yeah. Turn off the Scottish for a little while.
0: <laughs> oh, I can't. It's the accent I've got. Um, our podcast is called The Good Dog Project, which is the name of our, our training business together aimed at pet dog owners and the pet dog community. So, thank you for that plug you want to have a listen to maggie and i chatting nonsense to each other Please feel free
1: my pleasure and so aside from the email address you guys set up for this dog training qld at gmail.com how else yeah. can people get in touch with you
0: um you can get in touch with me via my business page i'm on all the socials as leading k9. so word leading like dog lead letter k number nine website is leading canine.com.au and Brittany can be found at both the pet girl and that dog school she's all over socials she's a social media wizard so she's not too hard to track down
1: wonderful hey thanks for your time
0: thank you so much for having us on really really appreciate
1: it pleasure that's it for another episode of the canine paradigm as always if you like what you hear please like rate share subscribe probably the best thing you could do right now is while you're in traffic, get out of your car, get your prong collar, stand on the roof of your car and just start screaming about how good the prong collar is. <laughs> <laughs> just, just ensure everyone knows when they look you dead in the eye and say, are you a crazy person? You should look them dead in the eye and say, have you heard the Canon paradigm? There's the way to do it. Yeah. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is jump into Patreon. A few bucks a month gets you an extra episode, live streams, huge backlog of information, more information going forward. I actually am working on something really exciting for you guys. I'm super excited to put it out. Also, I just filmed the seminar I just did in Sydney. So I'm going to be putting out some of that into Patreon. Lots of stuff going forward. Another way you can support the show is
2: Teespring Mm. or Spring. 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 What have we got in here, Glenn? Spring, we've got shirts. We've got T-shirts. We've got socks, I think. Uh, we've got tapestries. You just can't go past the tapestries. Everybody has okay. to have a tapestry in their home. Probably a mug as well. I think that's one of the things that we don't yeah, push have got mugs? Yeah. yeah. I've got mug. mugs. I've got some Canine Paradigm mugs in my closet. Do we have water bottles? We should get water bottles. There's water people bottles be- there. There's the option to do them. I just don't think I've done them, but yeah, we can we can do them if people want them. If there's a demand, if people are banging the door down and saying, I need a water bottle with a." Canine Paradigm logo know. on it. I can do it. Hey, did you, know. give out, did you give out our clickers at the seminar? I senator?
1: sure did, sir. Perfect. Did. Wonderful. Everybody won. Gave clickers and stickers and everything. People were
2: loving the merch. Yeah. If
1: you listen this far into it, the first person to comment in the Facebook group, so to put up, yes, we should have water bottles. I was gonna say we'll give you a water bottle. We don't have any to give you, so. We'll... <laughs> 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 but like, maybe they'll happen. So do it, and, yeah. and everyone can like it. And then we'll, if if we get plenty of likes on it, we'll make the water bottles. That's it. If you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is jump into the Facebook discussion group. That's where good information gets shared. We work really hard on that group. That takes some admining, right? Mm. 8,000 people to keep everybody civil and to keep bullshit out of there and to stop the spam and all that kind of shit. That's that's a lot of work. So that group is pretty good. So jump into there. There's a lot of information. The other way to get in contact with us, if you want to get in contact directly, is to shoot us an email. We are info at canineparadigm.com. Goodbye.